0: marketing, the casino for businesses trying to break through to the frontier of success. These are the voyages of entrepreneurs, dreamers, and really naive millennials on a mission to get ridiculously wealthy, to seek out new traffic to their stores, offices, and websites. This is Unbottleneck, the marketing podcast taking you to the farthest reaches of online and offline marketing with the elite experts, professors, and that crazy guy with the weird haircut who has two gazillion Snapchat subscribers and wields his social media influence like a sword from Castle Grayscale dipped in CBD oil and lit with a blue flame ready to break through the tough bottlenecks of marketing. Welcome to Unbottleneck. Now here's your host, the nerd of nerds, Steve Wiedemann.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we help solve common digital marketing problems. And today with us is Doc Sheldon. Doc Sheldon has around 18 years of experience in search engine marketing, helping small to mid-sized businesses with digital. Uh, aside from being the industry's biggest smartass, Doc was a business management consultant and, and the experience he brings with them that other SEOs may not have much experience with. Doc is currently working for Top Shelf Copy, working with a handful of clients trying to retain and grow organic traffic through and during a um, awful pandemic that we're all still, you know, dealing with. Uh, Doc also runs an incredibly exciting conference called the Deep Sea SEO Conference. Doc, welcome to the show, and tell us a little about this this Deep Sea uh, this Deep SEO Conference. Well, thanks for the welcome, Steve. Uh, deep SEO Con—it's a, a conference of Steve
0: Yankers and I we're planning to put on in Ensenada which is just you know a short drive south of the border in San Diego. Yep.
1: I know all about La Bufadora down there.
0: And it's going <laughs> to be in, in September because we had very selfish uh, motives we were going to get together and do some deep sea fishing and that is big sport fish season down there in Ensenada. So what we're going to do is have a one-day conference and the second day, anybody that wanted could join a charter boat with us and go about 50 miles offshore and do some fishing. The pandemic is not wrapping up as quickly as everybody had hoped. We had decided we were going to have to make a call probably a couple months prior as to whether A, was travel going to be available and B, were attendees and speakers going to be comfortable. And we decided to move that up a little bit because it just looks very unlikely that September is going to be a green light. So we're we're going to go, we're going to go virtual this year. And uh, hopefully in 2022 we'll be going physical. But uh, you know, since we're we can't really make up for the loss of the social aspect of conferences that so many of us enjoy, we decided to extend it to a two-day virtual. Uh, we're bringing in some killer speakers and good content, so we're, you know we're going to try all we can to make it worthwhile. And on the on the flip side, uh, Steve and I are still going to get together and do some fishing. So. Well, if nothing else we'll share the okay.
1: picture. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait so we can actually do the fishing. I've never actually been deep sea fishing, and uh, this was the first year that I actually tried fish. I started working with a new trainer to try to lose some of that dad bod, and um, mm-hmm. it, part of my diet was salmon and other fish. And so now I'm I'm used to it. I can eat it, and now I'm ready to do some deep sea fishing, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. No, we'll see. Um, well, great. Is there a website people go to
0: for that? Just so we don't... Uh, for the forget conference, much. it's deepseoconference.com. That's yeah. easy enough. And uh, speakers, sponsors, and attendees can sign up there. They can buy their tickets there. Uh, it gives a, we do not have the, the uh, topics up for the speakers. Yeah. The calendar, you know, in terms of who's going to be speaking at what time on which day is not finalized yet because we're still accepting speaker pitches sure but uh, we hope to have that in the next couple of weeks but people can already buy we have an early bird ticket sale so they can already buy the ticket we've already sold some right and sponsors of course if they'd like to get their name on this thing uh there's a special page just for you guys right on well i'm i'm
1: definitely on you can count on me and then like i said next year when we do the the actual uh fishing event i'm so down for that so doc you Good you luck. and i actually we have probably a four maybe five year history we I think we met on was either a a Skype channel or one of the Facebook groups or or somewhere and it seemed to be the topic that that came up the most often when we're having conversations was technical search engine optimization all that that geeky stuff that you know a lot of marketers uh, try to ignore and um, sometimes they wonder you know I've got all this great content I put on my website it's it's pretty it's better than the competitions it it uh, does more. It solves more. It's more delightful, more helpful. You know, words right out of Google's mouth. Um, but it's not ranking. And you know, I don't know if there's just something wrong with with my content or um, you know these great links I'm earning. I don't get it. I've got content and links. You know, why why is my website not performing the way it, it should be when it comes to traffic? And A lot of that circles back to technical SEO. Sometimes it's it's as silly as someone accidentally blocking their whole website from being crawled by search engines. Uh, other times, it's they've got you know 50 different versions of the same content, um, and maybe that content was curated from some other website, so Google's not um, thinking it's as unique or as helpful. Um, other times, it could be something simple as just does not perform well for mobile devices, and most of the users happen to be on a mobile device. So, um, so today I figure we could talk about technical SEO and technical search engine optimization and get a little bit nerdy and. Plan uh, a little bit ahead if we can, and help some some business owners and and webmasters with planning for this new core Web Finals update that's happening here really soon. I think it's in what about a month and a half away. So um, if that works for you, let's um let's
0: start with technical SEO. What do you think, Doc? Well, you know, just like when you try to to define SEO, a lot of us our colleagues will have different opinions. No, that's not part of SEO. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I use kind of a of a, a catch all. Basket, you know, uh, to me, anything that I can do on site, on page, mm-hmm. that is going to help both search engine rankings and user interface and conversion, I consider all that to be in my daily work in terms of you know, consulting to my clients. And so there are admittedly some things that technically probably do not fall within the SEO uh, basket. Obviously, not the organic side because I foresaw that a long time ago. But uh, there are things, like you say, a lot of it gets ignored. And I decided some years back, five, six years ago, I decided that Google's actions were increasingly pointing toward a focus on the technical aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, And obviously, they can't sell ads if they don't have users. So right. they want to have satisfied users on their search engine. And that makes it's, it's just uh, I, I try to do everything that I can. But now, we have all these new things coming into play. You know, you mentioned Corbett Vitals is coming up, but you've also got uh, privacy compliance has, has become a big thing since the European GDPR thing. California followed suit, New yeah. York, Nevada, Michigan, Florida. They're all jump on a bandwagon. There's already a couple of things in front of the U.S. Congress trying to go to a federal standard. So we don't have Government's like,
1: we're just going to need you to have 20 pop ups on your sites before anyone yeah. can actually use it. If you could just yeah. put 20 more pop ups, then exactly. you won't get sued.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 of course, being led by folks that can't spell Internet. So they have no idea what it, what's involved in it. So, you know, it, it's just, but that's the sort of thing that I focus on, you know, trying to get the, the pages in front of users, okay, but from an on-page standpoint, what can I do on-site to help it be found, to help it rank, uh, to help it be focused, you know, in terms of relevance, mm-hmm. context. To,
1: to match the search uh, course. right? Uh, well let's let's take a step back and thinking about the, those content writers that are writing content for the web and um, those folks that are doing uh, maybe a little bit like you said, advertising and off page and haven't really thought about this whole technical SEO uh, area, this area of uh, of search that does play such a big role and, and in your opinion, having done this for geez, you said almost over 18 years, um, in in the way that you define it, what is technical SEO, and and what are what are the components of it?
0: Well, technical SEO, you know, basically what I already said anything that can be done on the site on the page. that's yep. going to help either user interface, uh, not from a developer standpoint so much as just how the site is structured, the architecture, okay. the navigation. Uh, you know, obviously, keyword usage is an in, is is a factor. Mm-hmm. But uh, Google is increasingly able to determine the context, even in the absence of the target keyword. Sometimes, yeah. So you know, I, I think that anything that you do in terms of making the site responsive, making it uh, fast and sleek, mm-hmm. making it uh, responsive to to the navigation requirements of the user, you know, every site doesn't have to have an on-site search, but some do. Right. In particular, if you're trying to sell something, you know, a number of products or services, you should cater to that need of a, of a visitor to want to find what they're looking for rather than read through your 300- It's not all products. about
1: the search engine. Sometimes it's about- exactly. the-
0: In fact, the search engine should be secondary. And and what I try to do is find a way to eliminate that gap between what's good for users and what's good for, or I shouldn't say eliminate, minimize it. So there's not either or. It's, it's, you you can do things in a way that makes it advocated for both users and search engines, right. and obviously like most of us I target primarily Google because they are the, the majority of my client traffic But you know they're, they're still the, they're still the cock of the walk in terms of, of search engines So right it, it's uh, you know when, when you take into consideration those little things like internal linking and and mm-hmm. uh your URL structure, those all play a factor. But as more and more ranking factors come into play, each factor has a slightly smaller uh, weighting in the overall algorithm. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of cool if you think about how they're how they're doing it at Google. They don't. There is not a ranking algorithm. Okay. There are you know, a plethora of of algorithms, and they're looking at different things, and then they output a some sort of a formulaic output that is then combined, combined with the output of other algorithms. that quite possibly those come up with an output that's combined with one or two others, including PageRank. I mean, go all the way back to to the the origins of Google. It's not just PageRank. It's not just link. It's not just uh, speed. It's a whole slew of things. And, you know, there was a time, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you could do something that would have a major impact a thing that you could do that would have a major impact. that's no longer the case right. now you've got to do all the things you know or you know many of them to have a major impact so you have to hit you know hit all the keys you can't just keep hammering away the one nail you're going to have to hammer all the nails to really see something uh noteworthy in the search so something that
1: the digital marketer can can go back to their clients their boss uh you know, or, or whatever situation they happen to be in where they're responsible for digital marketing and given a little bit of an elevator speech to, uh, to talk about inbound marketing and saying, hey, you know what, when we think about search engine organic, there's some things we need to do. We've already got great content, we're getting some good links, but um, on the technical side, we need to look at, at on-page factors and, and start with some fundamental things like accessibility, security, privacy, you mentioned navigation and now more than anything else mobile friendliness and core web vitals so you take you take that that elevator pitch and you give it to the you know the the stakeholders and you say we need to do this if we're going to move the needle site wide uh, across every page on our website if we want to move up and we want to provide a better experience you know accessibility privacy security uh, navigation and mobile friendliness and now these these new vitals that we'll talk about in a minute i think that makes a lot of sense and i I hope that those folks that are struggling to get, you know, beyond um, uh, what they're doing with just content can can use that to advocate for more budget or resources, to, you know, to help get that work done. Could you, um, Doc, could you explain a little bit more about what goes into, say, a technical SEO audit, um, why it matters, and and maybe some options for conducting a technical SEO audit?
0: Well, there's an awful lot of things. You know, you could go to a to a, a domain, and you can see. Just from your experience, you can spot a number of issues. Mm-hmm. But you know, you check an image and say, "Oh my God, they don't have they don't have a, an alt attribute assigned to this image, and they should." Okay, fine. But they got 1,200 pages and there are 3,500 images on that site. Is it just that one, or is it all of them, or is it 90% of them? You know, so you use tools that can at scale can can uh, audit the entire site and point out that with all the pages and actually give you the link to each individual image mm-hmm. that. Does not have that, that that description or title or alt attribute, and the same with with uh, broken broken links, uh, broken URLs, 404s. You know, do you still have 1500 302s on your site that have been there for five years? You know, all these things that that uh, could go into play. You Use tools. tool. Uh, Screaming Frog is a great tool. Yep. I use it for years. I still use it. But I kind of started focusing more on. You know, forgive me, screaming frogs. I use Sitebull when I do a quick, quick and dirty thirty thousand foot view of a site. I use bulb because it gives me so much drill down uh, ability in their result. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like the I've fact that, a lot that of
1: I can. Around bulb. I know our, our mutual friend Christine uses it quite a bit too. I think
0: it's a nice one. It, it, you know, it, it, but I use them both when I do when I do a technical audit, I run both of them. And invariably one will find something that the other one missed. usually both okay the same was it was a link profile audit you know if you use Ahrefs and majestic and uh, gse you're going to find every one of them is going to find something that neither of the other kid to did
1: that's so funny the speed you tools know. are the same way i got a perfect score and then you go to this other site and it's like what do you mean i got an
0: f yeah so you know uh, you've got to use tools to do a tech audit and and you know, the, the key is to find the tools that will, that will give you the results in the specific areas where you spot potential issues. Or perhaps it's not, you don't spot anything yet, but you know that this is a common problem area. For instance, right now with cold uh, Core vitals coming up, you know, uh, speed and you know, code blows, all these things come into to play in terms of what's going to get in the way. Uh, you know, your, your cumulative shift is a major issue. And it's probably the most difficult one to address of all of them, CWBs. So, sure. you know, trying to find the things that cause shift is sometimes challenging. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are tools now that are addressing it. They've been working on it for months. and they, They've come out with some ways to, to point out where you have, how much you have. But, you know, we have to go, as SEOs, we have to go a deeper to and understand not just what it is, but what is causing it yep. and how is it calculated? You know? And that's kind of a, it's not a complex calculation, but it's more than a lot of people think. said, I think a lot of our, of our friends think that it's just an arbitrary number, that some secret formula. No, it's not a secret formula. They've told us precisely how they calculate it. And, and it's, it's easy enough to spot when it exists, you know, you log into a page and, and you go to click on a button, and all of a sudden the button jumps down twelve pixels, and you click on the wrong button. That if, if that resulted in a in a buy, yeah. when you, all you want to do is learn more, it kind of ticks you up, and, and that chases people away from it. So you know, those I, are I, the technical I, focuses that Google is increasingly uh, making a factor that we need to address. I I
1: like thinking about the technical audit also as as a way to. It's a way to get buy-in from the webmaster or the developer or both or the designer. Um, so you know the way the way that we've kind of evolved ours over you know the last couple of decades, um, it went from being like a Google sheet, right, or Excel spreadsheet, and we listed out uh, based on on different areas. We had site-wide criteria, and then we had sort of page-level criteria, and then we were you know trying to find ways to. Um, you know, to, to prioritize it. So we had priority one, priority two, priority three. But like you'd mentioned, there's so many changes in the way that things evolve that, that doing a, a numerical prioritization didn't work. So the way that we've evolved, you know, our, our little checklist, we actually, um, we still do use Google Sheets every so often for simplicity when we're just running a quick audit, not reporting on anything. But when we're reporting on it, our template, is a, is a framework that helps to actually get the work done as opposed to just saying, here's what's wrong. And the way that we did it is we broke it into three sections. We have high priority, those tasks that will have the best long-term benefit toward your SEO. The uh, medium, right, where you're um, a little less effort level, you know, to some degree, um, still has a benefit to SEO, but it's not gonna be a huge benefit. Uh, and the last one's low priority. And low priority tasks are things like just making sure you have a favicon so people don't think your site's you know a, a phishing site you actually use an av- a little you know avatar or something to represent your business um little things like that and so so we we put our audit together in a way that includes uh, a column for pass or fail of course points and the point system based on high medium low high is 10 points medium is five and low is like two uh, and then we put links uh, I put a link to the actual testing tool that we use I know a lot of agencies, Mm -hmm. if you go to an agency and say, hey, will you run an audit? They'll run it for you, but they're not gonna tell you where they got the data. They're not gonna say site bulb, CM rush or or screaming frog. They're just gonna say, this is how we got it. And if you want us to fix it, we can. So what we try to do is in ours, we actually put the link to the testing tool. So the developer can can retest as they're working through that task, they can keep hitting that link, throw their URL in there and keep testing until they fix it. We also include a link to the Google documentation you know with google having what like 70 80 percent market share we know that google's you know the the most important so we use the google documentation in web.dev or wherever they happen to store it or move it these days Um, because the first thing i've noticed when we give an audit to to a client um, is that the developer will kick it back your seo guy doesn't know what he's talking about Um, i'm a programmer i code things this is you know this isn't going to help you with your rankings and so, what I do is I include that link to the Google de- uh, developer document, so that the business owner or the SEO specialist that we're working with can say, "Well, why does Google say this?" And the developer looks at it and they read it and like, "Yeah, you know, what? fine, I'll just do it." Right? <laughs> so you do, it gives you some arsenal. The other thing I do too that that I I found has been really helpful because you and I have been doing this a long time. How many times have you had to you know teach a client how to write a title tag? So we record <laughs> everything, so we don't have to keep saying the same thing and being, you know, redundant through our careers. So I, I record a little, you know, five to sometimes 15 minute video that walks through how to do the audit, walks through examples and, and case study and walks through, um, you know, before and afters where I can so that um, that when the client looks at it, the developer looks at it, the you know, um, the, the stakeholders look at it they they know how to do it themselves they've got the document from google saying why they've got the video showing them how to do the audit and how to fix the problem Um, and then of course they've got the tool to use to be able to run the test now what's neat about doing that is that it empowers the client and and the client team to be able to do uh, a refresh and to be able to check their work Um, that way you know um, you can focus your energy on building a better strategy and being a coach and a guide because if you're in the weeds doing all of the work you can only handle so many clients at once but when you're when you're just there as sort of a second set of eyes you can handle a much larger group of, of clients so that that framework for for our audit um, we give it away in our, our little academy of, of search that i think you and i have talked about before but um uh, but it seems to work really well because it it provides the defense that you need from the developers that think they know it all it provides the 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 tools so that they can test and retest themselves if they're trying to you know tell you that you're you're wrong um, and it provides training documentation to empower the team to be able to do the uh, the audits themselves. So that's what I when I think of a technical audit, you know, that's that's what ours has evolved to. And then, of course, I see you know someone like uh, uh, you know Ann Cushing's or um, you know some of the other other rock stars in the industry, and I'm like Alan's even, you know, Alan Flywise. I look at at his, I'm like, okay, I know nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. so good, uh, you know. Uh, the first time Alan sent me one of his audits to look at and i thought holy christ what am i i'm I'm swimming around with sharks here
1: because i i know i know a publisher no he he uh yeah
0: he's definitely one of the rock stars when it comes
1: to audits i love looking at that what do you what are your current best practices on how uh website owners can improve seo i know we talked about a bunch of factors but from a best practice standpoint um you know what how, how would you approach that if someone were to say um on the team hey what are what are some best practices for how we can you know uh, manage and improve maybe not just the the set it forget it stuff but sort of on an ongoing basis what are some things like a cadence that we could be doing to improve our technical seo as
0: site owners mm-hmm. and for site owners it's a little bit more difficult because trying to stay abreast of what's happening and what's hot and what is is true and what's uh, Conjecture is a full-time job. You know, I mean it's challenging for us uh, So you know for, for a guy that's trying to run a business and 150 employees to also try to stay abreast of it It's just, it's just not doable. So I think what you need to do there as owner is You have to have somebody you can ask. Hey Okay, if, if you want to follow the, the blogs and the trade and you know, say hey, I saw this on 13th journal. Is this guy right? Is this true? Or I saw this on some obscure little blog that nobody's ever heard of, or somebody on Quora said, you know, if you have somebody like that available to you to help you not just say, no, that's wrong because, but, to, or not to say, no, that's wrong. It's this way, but also to be able to show you like, like you're doing with your site audit, Why, you know, that's, that's wrong. Because look, here's what Google has said, you know, right. and I often, you know, when I get questions like that from site owners, I'll say, no, you know what? Let me show you Bill Fawcy's blog. Let me show you this guy here on on. Uh, on you know, every time the lot,
1: my my brain explodes and it takes me two hours to put it back together. He's so yeah. such a genius. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, and so so I I have I have references that I will will show them to help them learn. Not just you know you remember my when I did the critical thinking book. Yeah. You know, don't think. Don't tell them what to think. Tell them how to think. That has always been my mantra, and I think that's what I, you know, that's what I try to do with my clients. Teach them how to determine what they should listen to. And there's so much misinformation, and sometimes disinformation, you know, deliberately, on the web these days. Especially if you hang out like I do in the slums of Facebook, you know, that you're going to see an awful lot of information that sounds very attractive. You know, it, it's, it's appealing because it's convenient. And it's right there, and you don't have to think. It's just easy. Okay, I'm going to chalk that up here in my brain and and live by it.
1: Doc, we're going to need to get uh, 400 iPhones and put them on the wall to create a network. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, everybody has a a get rich quick scheme that is free. We're only $29 this month only. You know, so it's very difficult to sort through that. And I I don't think that it's reasonable to accept, uh, to, to, to assume that any business owner has time for that we barely have time for it and i you know i i routinely put in eight hour plus weeks okay and i guarantee you i'm spending at least three hours a day yeah yeah half a man week just reading what people are saying what people have found this case study that that new blog post on google whatever just to stay abreast of what might be happening and then spend a little bit more time trying to determine how much of that was smoke up my skirt and how much of it is true you know, so you you can't expect later to do that. They need to have a resource. Now that may be somebody in-house or some intern that, that's helping them put up blog posts that can also spend some time and, and flag you with interesting articles. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they're really on the ball, they'll not only spot that interesting article, but they'll they'll vet it a little bit and say, Okay, but I found this article that says that, the opposite, or supports part of it, but not all of it, you know. And 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 help you determine where those those good listening points are but if you do have a professional if you're you're using a consultant or you're bringing in on a one-time like a site audit for instance Mm -hmm. a professional uh, give them the credence at least of being a professional and you know lend some credence to what they're saying do not take everything that any of us say we're gospel just because we have SEO on our business card. That's just not the way it works because there's an awful lot of people out there claiming to be experts, gurus, and ninjas that don't know squat. Right. But there's also an awful lot of really good people out there that know exactly, and they have a good consultant business ethic, which to me means you put your client's welfare above your own. Yep. Hey, My
1: recommendation didn't work. Let's try something else. And we we stay accountable to our suggestions as much as we can and we continue to troubleshoot and go down the line of what you know might be what solves the problem, whether it's a keyword ranking issue, maybe it's a disappearance of a URL. Um, maybe it's getting you know uh, more URLs of a larger website indexed. You know' it's, it's just working through those things uh, you know systematically based on what our experience has shown has been the most effective,
0: right? Well, a lot, a lot of it is a prioritization that we both focus on in our in our audits, because sometimes you know, people they hear something, and and they spend 90% of their free time working on that something, and it's a favicon, a relatively insignificant yeah, gain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know, whereas like right now, core web vitals is getting an awful lot of discussion, an awful lot of airtime on on social media and in our groups, and in reality. Uh, May is not Armageddon, okay? It's,
1: or it's, mobile we, get it as it was last time, right?
0: <laughs> well, it's going to be—it's going to be ramping in. It's—you know—the the initial impact is going to be much lower. You know, so we do not have to by May first reinvent the wheel. It is something that we, they were kind enough to give us some, some heads up, which they've been doing for a decade or better, okay, on, on major things. Uh, and and they've given us some heads up on things we need to be thinking about. And some of these things are gonna take some time. There's gonna be some pain points. I mean there's gonna be a lot of moaning and gnashing of teeth it's as we try to work these things years. out.
1: Yeah, WordPress a lot of it, it the worst
0: time. Yeah, and a lot of it is really not nearly as complex as we're painting it to be. Right. To me, it's a cumulative shift is, is the biggie. Everything else is is pretty much a slam dunk. Yeah. And, and it's not new. We've known that speed was an issue. We've known that, that image uh, processing was something that we needed to be looking at yeah. early on in the millennia, you know? So this is not a big shot. The the shift is something that's somewhat new, and it's it's a little bit of a cloudy issue because a lot of people aren't sure what causes it. Mm. They don't know how in the world to find it and fix what's causing it. Right. an awful lot of people, they're pretty good at what they do, but they're not code-level you know they're not programmers that could figure out a way to go into like i do a lot of work on wordpress you know i would be challenged to go in and and edit all my css to eliminate a given piece of, of shift mm. but it can be done and i can find it. i can get into github and whatnot you know I'll, I'll find a way to do it but uh there are guys out there that are much more capable than i and you know they're, they're spotted pull up a source code and say well i got no wonder you know and it'll fix it on on the fly, but uh, yeah, most site owners can't do
1: that either. So a lot of it has well, to do with the skill level of the the developer. And um, you know, having having gone through recently two big site updates for a couple of our clients, um, I'm I'm going to estimate that probably less than five percent of senior level developers really are are good enough to be able to hit these scores that Google's looking for. And the rest of the developers are really good, and they can they can hack and try to figure things out and, and, and work around things. But I really feel like probably 5% of those developers that are out there are, are capable enough um, and, and seasoned enough and experienced enough to be able to identify uh, those issues quickly and resolve them quickly without having to spend a month trying to figure out how to re, uh, reverse engineer WordPress.
0: I think you're probably you're probably in a ballpark. Yeah, a
1: very small portion. So, so a lot of developers, unfortunately, who are listening to this and and learning about technical SEO, you're gonna you're gonna get some crap from your your client and be ready for it. It sucks. We're all figuring it out. It's all new new. Um, if uh, if you need to, just remind them, hey, this this is all a lot of new tech that I have to go and learn. You know, if you want to pay me to learn, you know, this particular area, I can do that. Or I can refer you to somebody who I think is better than me, which is probably the best ethical thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. Even though they might be a little bit more expensive, they'll be able to do this because they're more familiar with it. And then I would go back to that developer if you're the lower level developer and say, hey, could you teach me this? Could you train me this? So the next exactly. time apply, I can, I can and be the better. The next time
0: you you have the answer. yeah. Yep.
1: I can tell you, thinking about best practices, one of the things that that you know we've tried to develop is um, is creating a baseline, right? What when you start with any sort of SEO program, the technical audit is a fantastic starting point to create some metrics to see where you are. But there's tools online that you could use that have a, a fraction of those and still are good for, as a point of measurement. Like SEMrush does have several technical attributes they look at from international mm-hmm. crawl errors and other things. So if you create that initial baseline, here's where we are now and then every month you hold your, your development web development team and webmaster team accountable to improving those metrics um, and then set a KPI goal you know a key performance indicator of of you know uh, maybe 90% or 100% fixed of all those different issues that you have at the beginning of the year at the end of the year you provide an incentive hey hey team every month i'm going to be checking on you to see how you're improving these different criteria but at the end of the year if you're able to get a score of this or better Um, then here's a bonus or incentive for you. I think that, and and then what happens every week, uh, a little nudge to the team, hey, it's Monday morning, how's our search console and our rankings and our performance and our coverage issues look, right? And, uh, you know, just just that quick little five minute check because if you miss that, if you miss it, several weeks could go by and a page was de-indexed that was generating potentially tens of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars, depending on what industry you're in. So I think from a best practice standpoint is just logging in to the different tools that are available to you. The free ones that Google Search Console are great. Once a week, checking everything to make sure there's nothing crazy or scary going on that you need to worry about. And then um, really holding the team accountable to meeting the the KPIs of improving those initial baseline metrics um, over the course of time. If I were to give any advice without getting too detailed on, on some of the actual technical pieces. That's what I think I might do, uh, just kind of as a baseline. You know, before we were talking about web crawlers and PageRank, um, we use a lot of spider, spider-like spider language. You know, my, my spidey senses are tingling just, just thinking about this sentence. Um, with words like web and web crawlers and SEO. Uh, Doc, can you explain in basic terms uh, how users, um, how they get their websites crawled by search engines like Google and what they need to know and how often this, you know, these, um, kind of core updates change.
0: Well, how often I'm going to address the how often first we don't really know. Okay. But <laughs> yeah, I think
1: every day they're, they're making changes,
0: but we don't really well, yeah, know there, there are several changes on a daily basis, but the majority of them, of course, are very, very small. And, right. and the impact that we could see is minuscule if, if even notable, but, uh, you know, so, I think that's that's something I can't answer because we don't know. But just assume that you're going to either hear from Google or you're going to hear in the industry if you've got your ear to the ground that something big seems to have happened this weekend or we're seeing an awful lot of flux right now in the old dance. Something is going on. uh, A lot of sites in this niche seem to have taken a hit or a lot of sites in this niche seem to have taken a big boost. And so it's worth looking, but as you say, you know, just, just keep an eye on things. It's the key But in terms of why where did web and crawler and spider come from? Uh, I think uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee was probably the origin of that because he referred to it as a web and, and I assume that his, his thought Wait, process, that work. I beg your pardon? I wasn't Al Gore. I thought
1: Al Gore invented
0: the web. <laughs> yeah, when he invented the internet, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was, uh, I assume, thinking of, of the web, the fact that there, there are many paths to each node on the internet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's not a matter of simply going from point A to point B. Right. You can go from point A to point Z, through all of the other letters of the alphabet and they'll still get you to Z. Hmm. And the thing is the difference between uh, you and I, you know we want to get to Z. The, the search engine wants to hit all those nodes. Yeah. They want to identify every single one of them and the path, and the relationship between each of those nodes and the other. So you know that's they're building their graph, if you will. You know, we we refer to the lit graph, because, well it that is basically a, a graphical representation of the internet yeah okay in terms of link so that's what the spider is following. and if you think about it, a spider you know Just crawling across its web it's, it's it's wanting to get out there to that fly that's stuck at the edge of its web it's going to take the most direct path mm-hmm. but there's an awful lot of paths available to it and sometimes the wind is, or a falling leaf has broken that web so they've got other ways to go around it you know and I think we need to think in that context in terms of, the, of our linking structure, both internal and external, mm-hmm. the relationship between nodes in that graph and, and uh, how we get value, you know, link equity from one point to another is going to be affected by how many other nodes are relating to each of them. You know, sure. so you know, when, when you have... Six different versions of the same link on your homepage—that's uh, a waste of link equity. You
1: know. Okay. Yeah, and, and web crawlers, as is, is, you know, I'm sure everyone knows, are just just a piece of software, right? That crawls exactly. through the internet uh, to identify new content, decide if that that new content is, um, you know, is, is something that's going to be helpful, index it if it if it is and then rank it if um if they determine through some testing uh, and impressions within the search results that that page is genuinely more helpful than the other pages that um, you know are are further down on the and the results so it's when you think about those those web crawlers there's that you mentioned site Sitebulb, screaming frog we use something called Rite r-y-t-e deep crawl yeah. on crawl all of these tools will will emulate google's little spider crawl through and find all the different uh, potential issues that could be um, causing problems with Google figuring out which version of a URL to index or figuring out whether or not a page should be indexed or not. So I think I think web crawlers, it's it, it's the very beginning of anything we talk about with technical SEO because without the crawler, there's no way that they're going to get to our website to try to understand it, to understand the site structure, to understand the, the topics and the content um, and which ones are the most important, like you mentioned, through interlinking to other pages. So um, so I agree. I think, uh, I think that's, that's a, a super important topic for a lot of webmasters to, to really look
0: at. Well, you know, I was talking to a developer friend a couple of weeks ago, and he made a statement which really raised my eyebrows. He said, you know, the, to program a crawler, a bot uh-huh. to crawl, is probably one of the easiest things you could ever learn. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, well, maybe in your world, not in mine, because that does not sound like, but he says, basically all you're it's doing is the easiest thing to block. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a program to tell something, to go out and find everything. And when you find something new, tell me what it points to and what point it is it? that's all. Draw a map. That's yep. all it does. And, you know, I think when you go to something like like SEMRUSH or, or Majestic, you, you're getting a little bit more information than that. You know, you're looking at that node and finding all these other little things, but that's not the crawler,
1: right?
0: The crawler is just finding all those nodes and, and all the paths that led to it and from it. You know, so it's basically just drawn a, a line art diagram in digital format. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not all that complex, I guess, but it, it just, it really set me back in my chair when he said, yeah, that's simple. why hasn't everybody done he it? Hey, everybody has, you know, there are guys that, yeah. go find a guy at, at DEF CON that couldn't do it for you on a napkin in thirty seconds. You know, good luck. There aren't any because it's one of the first things they learn. They're gonna go out and they're gonna crawl. Mm-hmm. And Makes you know, so sense. I found that interesting. But uh, you know, as far in terms of you know, going back to your update question. Yeah, that that bugs me because it's not it's not an answerable thing for us. Yeah. And that's you know the sort of thing that I think that uh, you know there are many things that Google keeps close to the vest. Ever since
1: they started calling these things core updates, right? Yeah. It's it's now it's a different dynamic. I mean, back in the day, there were there were the big updates that they made that we could feel right away. Um, you know, we could even see them coming. You know, with uh, looking at the different Google servers and sure. how they would dance, and um, it was it was a different age in in search. And now in today's uh, you know, artificial intelligence and, and uh, smarter um, algorithm environments. I think, I think it's less important to, to obsess over the updates and more important to focus on, like we talked about, principles and best practices. If you're doing those things and getting better at them and listening every week to, like you said, the um, things that are happening and to see if there's any merit to them um you should be okay i know there's a lot of anxiety in our industry from like oh my god google's gonna make an update and we're gonna lose all of our rankings no not if you're not if you're following if best you're doing partner.
0: the job right you won't
1: <laughs> yeah yeah Really, do we have a client that that gets impacted we've had a few that were in healthcare that got updated a few years back when google made an update that we feel affected sites that um talk to things that had to do with your your finances or your health or something so um but we help them recover. We we help them to, you know, to instill more trust for users. Users stayed on their website a little bit longer than they did previously, and we started to see that that pattern of user behavior and improving exit rates and bounce rates have an impact in and helping return some of our keyword rankings. But um, but it wasn't a lot of work. It was just more um, you know more focus groups and and um, test groups to ask how can we improve this page? How do we make this page a page that you would stay on and trust and buy from? Right. How can we make this page better? And there's so many folks that just obsess over tactics instead of just asking their users or potential users how they can make the page more helpful. You know?
0: Yeah. So, and, and I think that, you know, an awful lot of times it's, it's for me, my advice to my clients is almost always color between the lines when you can yeah. follow the rules, follow the guidelines, because then if you do hear that an update rolled out this weekend, you don't have to go check GSC with a sense of dread, you check it with a sense of anticipation. Did yep. I take a big boost? You know, Because you're doing it all by the rule. And yep. and nine times out of 10, if you are following the guidelines and keeping your ear to the ground in terms of what's coming up, you're gonna get a boost rather than a hit. Yep.
1: Yeah, my my friend, Johnny Aldeeb, our web analyst over here, uh, dove in this morning. I can't wait to hear the updates, but he dove in this morning after a reported update that happened last week so we're we're testing last 4 days versus the same days the previous week just cuz we know there's sort of weekend um, you know seasonality but um, but like you said it's not with oh god i hope none of our rankings dropped it was like oh yeah, boy, boy. Like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly well i want to be respectful of your time are you good for another 15 20 minutes
0: sure
1: sweets all right well next question that we had lined up for you if, uh, if you can handle the interrogation <laughs> is that there's a number of business owners and entrepreneurs that get frustrated and lost in the technical size of their websites. Can business owners get by with just the basics and then outsource the technical SEO to those that kind of live and breathe it? Where's the balanced approach uh, for those who just don't feel served by diving deep into the extremely technical side of things? Well, uh, a balanced approach
0: is, is you know, certainly doable. But I think you know, like I said earlier, you gotta take everything into here with a grain of salt. Yep. You know, if, if you have a, a consultant either proposing a services or he's actually already on board as a consultant, if he makes a claim, ask him what does he base that upon? Is that anecdotal? Is that based upon his own testing? Is that something he read on a blog? Is it something he read on, on a Google blog? You know, right. it, it may be perfectly valid. First of all, you're going to task him with justifying what he says, which is always a good thing with any business relationship. But it's also going to be educational for you. So you're gonna you're gonna walk away from that conversation a little bit more informed, and that's going to serve you down the road. So you know finding that balance is an ongoing part. You're gonna you know if you could go to Amazon and order up a, a drum of balance, you'd be in good shape. But that's not how it works. It takes time, and and, and it's going to be a factor. You know of are you talking to the right people? Are you asking the right questions? Are they giving you good information? And you're not going to hit it out of the park every single time. Yeah. you know. And, and if you're an entrepreneur, you already know that you've got to take risks and you've got to, to stub your toe a few times. You know, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you finally find that prince. And when you do find that prince, you hold on to it. If you've got a consultant that has led you uh, well, has served you well and given you results, do not let that guy go. Yeah. You know because it's not that they're that rare there's a lot of very good seo consultants out there and, and but there's also some that aren't so good there are some that have the right ethic but they just haven't got the experience yet or maybe they're misguided you know you are not going to kiss all frogs or all princes you're going to have a few frogs in there so mm-hmm. when you find that prince you hang on to him you, you nurture that relationship and when he finds a client that will listen to him mm-hmm. He's going to nurse that relationship along as well because that's uh, that, that's the, the stuff that dreams are made of. You know, I know
1: I'm, I'm but, not too humble to ask for second opinions. If I feel like we're
0: oh, we're not able I to know. solve
1: a problem, I'll say, "Hey, client, is it okay if I bring in another consultant who I trust to give me a second look?" You know, mm-hmm. and it's, that's that's something I think a lot of. Um, I think you've seen this too at a lot of the the conferences we used to go to. There there are personalities that are um sort of I know everything and don't need anyone. And, and there's personalities that are always learning, always humble, always you know scholarly, and um, you know looking to get other people to share their ideas and their um, you know and, and just be synergetic. So I think I think that's that's when you're choosing a consultant. I think that's a good question is to say um, you know if if you're struggling on a task and we've been working on it for a few months and you just can't seem to get through it. Um, what do you do to get over that hurdle? And if the answer is "do more research," if the answer is um, "keep trying." Um, then you might have the wrong guy. If the answer is "you know, I'd, I'd probably reach out to my peer group and and pull in uh, you know somebody else who I, I trust who can give me a second set of eyes or a group of people who I can give a you know ask a broad question to and and get some answers. I think that's well, that's a, the the cool involved. thing
0: about our about our industry is that. In spite of the fact that you and I are, are essentially competitors, okay, at a different level, you know, because you deal more in enterprise, I deal in SMBs. But we are competitors, yet we share, we help. Yep. Uh, you know, it's not just you, you and me. I mean, all it's of us. All of us. So it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. You know, so you can go into these Facebook groups or even wide open on your yep. wall and ask questions, and your followers or friends who might have some input will freely offer it. And, and that's kind of cool. So, you know, I've had a number of times I've gone to somebody's Facebook groups and say, hey, I know you deal with this. If I got a question about uh, something would fall into the realm of what Casey Marquis works on, you know, the heavily uh, food blogger, which is an, a very unique niche. If I've got a, a client problem that that kind of is similar to that niche, Casey's the first guy I'm going to go to. And I have no doubt what's very He's going to give me a very honest, Upfront answer. He's going to help me, yep. and then I'm going to be able to go to my client and say, "Okay, I talked to this guy. He has all these clients that specialize in this niche. His testing indicates this, and I trust this guy 100 percent." Yep. And that's going to carry some weight. Okay. I would hope that my client is also going to think, "Hey, it's kind of cool. You know, he didn't he didn't try to blow smoke up my dress. He actually went and talked to a colleague, and you know, somebody who has he readily admitted that somebody else has more expertise. You know, yep. so it's a win-win." We're sure. and, we, and we do regularly island, refer to each other. You
1: know? so yeah it's it's a normal thing whenever you know we we get a client and we're like you know what? that's not really a client i feel like i can do a good job with um uh, eric ward you know who who passed a few years back was a, a good friend of mine and um shocked me one day he called me and he said hey how would you like to work with uh you know i think it was at the time it was like the third largest uh, uh real estate site I'm like, are you kidding me? Why, why would this is perfect for you? Why would you do this? Like, no, I just do links. They so they really need more on the, the technical and content and um, and creative side of things. So I'm like, wow, you know, I just got a referral from somebody who I've always looked up to as like a, a God in digital marketing. Um, and that's, you're right. That's the essence of our community. Um, as, we, as we keep digging into technical SEO, one of the things that we've been challenged with recently, more recently than ever is video. Um, we know that video gets people to um, to trust you more. There's an authenticity layer. There's a professionalism layer. But there's a lot of embedding issues that affect page speed and performance and and layout um, just ends up just completely crushing our performance. So we'll use to tools like Lighthouse and the Google PageSpeed Insights. You know to, to try to measure it but what if what have you noticed with video is it at this point with technical SEO in 2021 do we just let video go so we get faster page speeds and performance or do do we figure out a better way to uh, incorporate video so it doesn't affect page speed or who cares
0: <laughs> I think it well a lot of it of course from a technical standpoint a lot of it is how you're loading it okay you know, for instance if you're putting a video at the top of your page uh, You've thrown away one of the greatest tools because if it's down below the fold, you can start loading that video before the user gets to it, before they scroll down into it. So you okay. you you a partial preloading mode. Sure. So you know while you've got you've got uh, six eight hundred words of, of post up there for them to read introductory posts before they scroll down to the video, you already sufficiently load on the video that they're not going to be buffering. So that yeah you know, now your user experience has improved somewhat.
1: So a solution might be to put a call to action at the top to watch a video and then have that scroll to the bottom of the page. That
0: that is, that is one thing you can do, but you know, you would still want to start preloading that thing as soon as the the call to the page is made. Yeah. You know, but I, I, you know, what I like to do is write a couple three paragraphs of content at the top of the page. So that the video itself is below the fold. So because a lot of times if if they see, let's say it's halfway below the fold, if they see this video, a lot of users will just skip the content entirely, assume that it's about the video, and go right down and hit the play button. Okay, right. and guess what? You know, 30 seconds in, they're buffering. Okay, depending <laughs> upon a lot of things. The well, best solution, yeah, yeah, yeah. To my my experience, has been a CDN, because you know YouTube does a decent job, uh, considering, especially when you consider the vast amount of of video traffic that they're serving. Yeah. But considering isn't always enough. You know so i think that a cdn is the ideal solution assuming that it's properly set up sure and a lot of times you need to talk to your CDN and tell them okay look i'm not worried so much about images i'm worried about video because my site focuses heavily on video and that's gonna that's gonna allow them you know understanding your your needs up front they can set things up a little bit differently they right. can handle their caching a little bit differently so if that video is always preloaded on the server at least for the first first 10 days, 30 days whatsoever since sure. publishing, they, they keep it preloaded on their server. That sort of thing has a tremendous impact.
1: So I've, I've seen a, a lot of a lot of folks that are doing or learning technical SEO are still sort of new to this whole idea of a content delivery network. And content delivery networks, for those who don't know, are uh, a way for you to, to provide a cached version of files on your website uh, across a cloud. So instead of... Um, Instead of the the data packet having to travel from where the web server is, perhaps your web servers in Michigan and you're in California, you know, your data is going to have to go through all these different hops before it finally gets to your computer and a CDN. As, as basically servers all over the country and one in California, and it grabs a, ca- a version of, of the current version of your page, maybe a few seconds, and it keeps that cache locally so that the user just basically reaches up, grabs the content and it's right there. And I've heard of using CDNs for HTML and for CSS, um, you know, and, and even for images, but um, but for video, that's interesting. I know Amazon S3 has, has a, a framework for that, that allows for it. And I think Akamai um, but it's, it's interesting. So one one solution to help potentially improve performance issues caused by video uh, would be to host your own video and keep a version of it on the CDN as opposed to embedding a YouTuber or uh, Vimeo. Does that
0: sound right? Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, some people have tried doing that a half step towards that. They say, well, rather than keeping keep plays just off of YouTube, I'm going to host it on my server uh if that's all you're going to do no, you know you just cut yourself in a foot because yeah <laughs> you know, now you're going to be you're going to be slower than youtube first of right. all in serving it you, why, why problem, did my
1: website crash well you have you know three thousand videos trying to be loaned at the same time yeah
0: and you might also be getting an email any day from your host requiring you upgrade to the next level of hosting because your bandwidth just went through the ceiling <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know that's so uh, nice. there's a lot of things that can be done i i'm not uh I haven't used a lot of Vimeo. I've, you know, hosted hosted a couple of Vimeo voting Vimeo uh, videos, but uh, I haven't done much with them. I typically use YouTube. No, it isn't. If I have a like, for instance, Steve and I have a a a co venture going on with uh, Mentors on Tap, where all of our content is on video. I mean, we do have some written intro, but it's it's video. And presently, we're just embedding from YouTube. Mm-hmm. It hasn't become an issue yet, but we're keeping our eye on it because it it sure. probably will at some point in time. And then we made
1: a- we've made it. We've done it with with uh, YouTube and it's created problems for us.
0: But yeah. At, at some point it will. So- well, I know, I know a,
1: lot of, a lot of folks really want to hear about this core web vitals. And uh, I feel bad because, you know, I'm sure a lot of them were like core web vitals. And then they're like, when are they going to talk about it? Uh, with the limited amount of time that we have left, we dive in and talk about uh, core web vitals. Um, you know we're learning obviously that Google is getting more specific about the set of criteria that they're looking at as ranking signals. Can you explain a little bit more about core web vitals and how these relate to the overall user experience doc?
0: Well, Google started talking to us about two years ago about uh, upcoming algorithm focus right. on uh, page experience which is going to deal with their security, safety, mobile friendliness, and those interstitials that we all love that pop up and cover up content. And, and telling us that was going to become a major factor, at some, well, not major, then it was going to become a ranking factor at some point in time. Uh, they haven't gotten here yet, but now what they have added to the mix is the Core Web Vital, which is, is three things. Uh, your largest contentful paint, so that's you know, what can the user see that is going to show up on their monitor or you know, other device that they can see and actually start to consume. Mm-hmm. And, and then what is the first input delay, uh, which had, you know that all these have their own levels of what is acceptable, what's good, what's unacceptable. And then what's the cumulative layout shift is what I, I mentioned a couple of times before. There's a shift, mm-hmm. which is when you see a site, uh, the page load, and all of a sudden you see everything jump down half a screen because something else loaded above it. And that can be frustrating. First of all, you lost your place if you're just reading. If you're trying to click on a link or a, or a button, uh, now you just clicked on the wrong thing or missed entirely, so it's frustrating. It, people will leave your site when they see that.
1: Right.
0: And uh, so that's one of the things that is It's new. We haven't been... Terribly most of us have not been terribly concerned about that if it shifted a little bit. Okay If there's not another button to click right above it. No, no, no harm no foul, right? Well, yes. it is a harm and foul and so what they did initially they started to uh, to introduce the uh, the impact fraction, which was basically uh, how much things moved. Mm-hmm. and the problem with that was that the impact to a page in terms of you know, in terms of the search engine of moving a little bitty five pixel button by two pixels was one thing moving a 150 pixel text box that same amount was much greater. So they added to the mix the uh, distance fraction and That was you know, th- they multiply the times each other. So if you take something that has a, a 0.75 impact fraction and a point Two five distance fraction. You multiply them find each other. Now you get a point one eight seven five. Okay. Right. Then basically they they equalized a bit so that the, the guy whose huge text block or large image shifted by three pixels wasn't impacted more than the guy whose little five pixel button moved to, shifted the same amount. How so are
1: his, you now Are you using like um uh dot org slash what do they call it now? Core web vitals or something? Um, or or what what are you using right now to uh, if you're if you're looking at your page or anyone listening wanted to see how their page performed? What's the best tool that you recommend so that they could look at their pages and see how their their current 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 uh, web vitals are? The
0: best, I guess, I would probably say
1: Semrush. Okay. Okay. But that's
0: but that's not a free. Oh, you beta tool. tested there uh, that's right I remember yeah I've been that and, and uh, I've, I've been using the entire tool since I got access to the to the account and I've been very favorably impressed they've made a lot of changes over the last few years that I was not using because I don't change rankings, and I was always seeing camera as a ranking tool and it, it really is much more than that their, right. their core web vital uh, gives you some nice drill down but uh, web page test org and uh, GT metrics both Offer for web vital analysis. Uh, they're good. Like everything, when I just look at technical aspects, I never use a tool. I might have my favorite because it's quicker. You know, as opposed to having to run a complete crawl, I can just look at this particular aspect. And it'll give me a quick snapshot of things. Okay. But uh, when I'm doing a check on it, I'll always use two or three different tools and, com- and combine. And I'll generally, I'll pull their outputs into the same spreadsheet and combine them and see where the deltas are because sometimes you'll find that one disagrees mm-hmm. uh, Particularly if one of them happened to be a Google tool like oh what a page test speed, you know uh, What it's just I'm sorry a page speed test. Uh, I I Don't find that to be consistent mm. At all it's frustrating if, if I get two similar results on that it is it's time to stop and we're going to get drunk
1: because it just never happens Rerun, i just i just ran it and now my score is like 13 points off from what it was five seconds ago yeah we we were talking about that here at the office and and dan on the team was like at any given moment there could be more traffic coming to the website that'll affect it um it could be the server you know yeah it could be anything happening that that uh, affects that page speed. So it's kind of an unreliable thing. I think the action item then for a lot of businesses is you know, to, to use one of the, those tools. If you have SCM Rush, use their new tool um, so that they can determine well, you know, where the, the current issues are with how the page moves, with how the page is being served to the user, um, less about so much about the, the uh, overall speed of the page and more about the user's experience and how that page is being loaded at the mm-hmm. time that they're looking at it. And it sounds like above the fold is, is like the new priority. So if you're on a mobile device, that, that whole thing that you see when you first load that site on the mobile probably should be the fastest and the one that moves around the least, if I had to guess.
0: Right. Yep. There's something else, you know, in terms of how Google initially was going to worry about impact fraction until they added a distance fraction. Yeah. Keep in mind the fact that it's the upper left point of whatever item in terms of cumulative layout shift, it's mm-hmm. that upper left point, just like when you, as a kid in high school or in elementary school, when you plot a graph, you always started over here on the left hand side, you know, unless you happen to write to left content, okay? So for us in the English speaking world, it's the upper left point, And that is the reference point from which they measure the distance and the direction, okay? There's always at least two things to look at. So they're gonna go for the worst case, you know, whichever is greater. So if you if you've got that point moving to the right two pixels, it's a much lesser impact than if it was moving down two pixels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless you're on a, a phone, for instance, and that two pixel happens to be, it only needs one pixel to move it off screen. Which means now it's going to drop down 400 pixels. Okay, (laughs) you know, so you know, so there's there's no absolute, but you know, you need to you need to get into and understand how it works to determine what's really important to chase in terms of cumulative shift. You know, and and I I said earlier there's no Armageddon on one may you know whatever day in may that finally actually rolls out
1: long term it's nice to watch your your traffic continue to go up and not continue to go down
0: exactly (laughs) but you know this is not going to hit us like an armageddon and just wipe a bunch of us off the map it's something that we need to be thinking about it's something we need to be paying attention to but i i really don't expect to see a lot of sites getting hammered on day one of the rollout
1: well, doc you just gave us our next action item i think i think after they do roll this out we should do another podcast and look at what the impact was and maybe we can share some data and talk about uh, a few accounts that that we work with and um maybe some that that you've seen that you've worked with and let's let's uh let's jump back on a quick maybe 20 minutes recap of core vitals and, uh, and see what, what best practices have evolved what new tools have come out uh to see if um you know if, if it's even you know, something we should even care about. Sometimes they put out a lot of uh, stuff that they want us to pay attention to and then it turns out there's no impact.
0: So, well, I think uh, it's definitely something we need to care about because it yeah. impacts the user. Okay. Right. Uh,
1: Doc, this well, has all been all
0: of those page experience items do impact the user, but the CLS is really a major I, in my opinion. So it's just so I let's just do don't think that it in terms of Yeah, let's do it. And um and again I gotta
1: I gotta wrap this up, but this has been Oh my God, so informational. I think I think those tech nerds out there are probably just salivating at all the, the juicy, geeky stuff we talked about today. And for those people that aren't as techie, I'm sure they're going to be rewinding and pausing and um, and doing some Google searching for all, all the terms that we we threw out there that might be new to them. But um, ultimately, I, I thought this was a lot of fun, and I think it was super helpful for those webmasters who are thinking about that technical side of search engine optimization. And so I just want to say thank you. How can people get a hold of you, Doc?
0: Uh, you know, the the one place I can almost always be found in my working in my waking hours is Facebook. Okay. Sheldon, and uh, my my website has my my email and my Skype number on it. It's, uh, okay. Intricivalueco and topshelfcopy.com. both have okay. my my contact information on. It.
1: We'll we'll put that in the uh, oh. comment area, of the description area of the video, and maybe even overlay it after the fact. So, all- the way the-
0: to find me is on Facebook. Because I always <laughs> have that up on one of my monitors. I, I'm just a, a junkie for wasting time.
1: Yeah, that's well, great. that's where we find our community, though. So it's, it's all good. I'm there with exactly. you. Well, thanks again, Doc, for everything. And we will see you on the next episode, guys. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.
0: Thanks for the invite. I enjoyed it.